In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Deb Sternke. Uh, I'm part of the College of Preachers here, and I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. I'm going to step back a tad <laughs> so we don't get echoey. Um, today, friends, is the fifth Sunday of Easter. Last week, Nancy preached uh, that God's relational love invites us to slow down, to be present to love. And these passages over the last three or four weeks have all been on love. They've all been emphasizing the centrality and the importance of love. And today we're focusing on John 15 and the good news that we proclaim today. Oh, and I forgot to take off my mask. I just realized. Getting used to this new reality. All right. One more time. <laughs> The good news that we proclaim today is that the Father's love is interrupting and overcoming our instinct for self-preservation by supplying not only the model, but also the power for us to make a living of loving. It's in this mysterious and circular divine love that we are held all together in the unity and fulfilled joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our text today, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is preparing them for a major transition. He had, just a few chapters back, washed their feet. He had led them through the Last Supper, and now he's walking with them to the Garden of Gethsemane, and his death is fast approaching. And as they're walking, he's teaching them about how he is the vine and we are the branches. And he continues on explaining, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, which is to abide and linger, like Nancy said last week. I love that word. To stay and continue, to persist in and he goes on saying, we remain in his love by keeping his commands, just as he kept his father's commands and remained in his love. This is my command, he says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Here he's giving them a template, a model, a pattern of love and inviting them to become a conduit of the same for others. Love feels highly ambiguous to us, right? It's hard to define love. I mean, we say we love all sorts of things. And many have actually strayed away from uh, actually defining love just because it's so difficult to encapsulate in just a few sentences. But for simplicity's sake today, we'll say that love is a transforming power. To love someone is to love them for their own sake and not for what they can do for us. It is, as one theologian said, when we are poised to promote the good of those within range. So that includes others, but... We have to mention that that also includes ourselves. 
we are always within range of ourselves, right? So this love is not, it's not loving others to the detriment of honoring and loving ourselves. And the love among the Trinity helps us to understand and see this reality, that we can participate in this kind of love because we were first given it. Jesus goes on in our text saying, I no longer call you servants, but instead I call you friends. See, the disciples referred to Jesus with names like uh, his master, their master, their teacher, their rabbi. And so you would think that Jesus would call them his students or his followers. But he says they're chosen and now declared friends. Christ grants them the dignity and responsibility of being his friends, of having heard from him everything that he heard from God. And then we come to this finale passage, this finale sentence, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Such an amazing promise. There's this completion of joy in this, that abiding in God's love provides an unshakable source of completed joy. So this passage is giving us a picture of the mysterious and circular and reciprocal love of God. There is a mutual and permanent love between the Father and the Son. And since we are chosen, declared friends of him, loved by him, we are connected to the source. And we then can participate in this love because we've been given it. At this point in the story, I think that the disciples were probably feeling two things. One, they were probably feeling the least secure. And two, they were probably feeling the most confused. I mean, they themselves are about to have the ultimate act of self-preservation when they'll soon abandon him at the garden. And I wonder if perhaps it's similar to what we felt at the beginning of the pandemic, if you can remember <laughs> that far back, feels like ages ago. You know, we felt this confusion. We felt this, like not knowing what's going on. Uh, we're unsure of what we can trust. We're getting all this information, trying to figure out how to protect ourselves and those we love. And in reading this text today, I, I find myself asking, how do these words redefine the meaning of joy and love as we move through not only the strenuous times of the pandemic, but also just the normal complexities of our own lives? Like how does living in love intersect with our real lives today? This past year has had so many situations of brokenness and alienation injustices, exclusions. This past year has not brought out the best in all of us. Can you agree? <laughs> I mean, as I look back on this past year, I realize, man, I don't think I have ever felt so much consistent frustration and anger at people 
You know, I'm angry at my girls' teachers for putting late points on assignments. I am angry at seeing shooting after shooting after shooting. I'm frustrated with my coworkers at work. And sometimes it's not even like anger at a specific person. It's just people as a whole. <laughs> There's this emotional fatigue from the pandemic, this sense of languishing, this isolation and constant vigilance. I'm reminded of the so song that Joel sang a few weeks ago, how long, how long? Because here's the thing, this pandemic has heightened the difficulty of loving one another. It would be so much easier if it was just, just tolerate each other, you know, just tolerate each other. That'd be so much easier, but it's love one another just as I've loved you. My frustrations are driven by this instinct for self-preservation. Like when I'm trying to provide and preserve and protect me and my own. So I build up walls or I cut others off or I move out aggressively because being over and against is so much easier than living in love. It's a lot easier than being vulnerable or setting healthy boundaries or asking for help. But even in the midst of that place, the Father's love is interrupting and overcoming our instinct for self-preservation by supplying not only the model, but the power that we need to make a living of loving. And it's in this mysterious, circular, divine love that we are all together held in the unity and the fulfilled joy of the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. See, God's love redefines these moments for us. These are the places where we collapse back into the truth. We don't muster it up. We don't try harder we don't do better, but we simply return to and abide in the love that's already been given, that's already here. Because of this great love, we can see every trouble, every struggle, every prom problem as something that is inviting me deeper into the love of God and growing our awareness. To this love, it can't be achieved by the rational mind or resolved in our heads or with grit or in the perfection of a moral response. It's rather this gradual awakening. It's a way of seeing, it's a way of being, the widening of perspective. And we're already at that starting point. God is maintaining us and choosing us What's absent is simply awareness. It's something we have to learn to see. I, I read yesterday, somebody had said, God is not in competition with reality. He's in cooperation with it. I loved that. And see, our spiritual disciplines, that's, they have that one purpose for us, to rid us of those illusions so that we can be present so that we can see what is, see who we are, 
see what's happening around us. And we embrace doing this imperfectly, for sure. Because really, Jesus gave us a command that we, we can't do on our own. We don't have it within us. But living in loving isn't this heroic act that I need to gather up tons of strength in. It's something that I can simply drop into in any moment. In any moment, I can back away from my irritation, my frustration, my mistrust, and I just can consent to the moment, trusting that love is there because friends were swimming in love. So anytime you notice an irritation, perhaps with a friend or a coworker or your parent, it's an opportunity to take a deep breath and become aware that love is here. Because you make a living of loving, not by being a perfect lover, but by collapsing back into love again and again and again. It's a hundred opportunities to love. And we're all beginners. We're all starting anew and failing every day, which keeps us in utter reliance on him. And that, friends, is being born again, which doesn't happen just once. It happens again and again and again and again and again. That's salvation. That's participation in the life of Christ. Now, I do want to clarify, consenting to love isn't just being nice. It's not noticing my irritation in the moment and just take a deep breath and just be warm and loving and kind. It's not what I'm talking about. Because when we feel in anger at injustice, living in love means tending to that anger. It's giving myself over to grief because that's what love does. When something bad happens, love grieves. And it's also moving into action. It's advocating for and standing in solidarity with the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed instead of distancing myself or distracting myself. It's being present to whatever is happening. So we abide in the midst of con conflict and chaos, in the midst of things like injustices, in the midst of things like our diverse political perspectives of our extended family members, <laughs> of things like our loneliness and our longing for community, of seeing faces, <laughs> or our tanking mental health. We abide in the one true vine. And in doing so, we consent to love. See, even though things were about to unravel for the disciples, they too were embraced by a divine love, a divine purpose larger than their individual choices. Jesus empowered the disciples, and he has empowered us today, not as servants, but as friends. The one and only task is love and union. Only by living in love, in connection and communion and biting, can we find God's love flowing in us and through us. 
today, friends. The Father's love is interrupting and overcoming our instinct for self-preservation by supplying not only the model, but also the power to make a, love, a living of loving. And it's in this mysterious, circular, divine love that we are held all together in the unity and the fulfilled joy of the Trinity. So I just want to ask, what are you bringing with you this morning? Where does this strike you? What specific instinct of self-preservation comes to mind for you from this past year or this past month or this past hour? <laughs> what comes to mind for you? I'd love for us to just imagine that thing in our minds. Perhaps hold out your hand as a way to symbolize having it. And as we respond together in prayer, let's release that to the Lord. We're going to use a collect that Ben wrote this week, a collect for remembering we belong to each other. So let's just take a moment, bring to mind that thing and hold it in your hand, and then we will pray. Lord Jesus Christ, in whom all things are held together, lavish your abundant grace upon us that we might remember that we are living members of your body, connected to one another in far deeper ways than mere affinity, convenience, or personality. May your love overcome our instinct for self-preservation that we might hold each other close in prayer as you hold us all together in the unity with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.